Hi, I'm Andrew Keith Walker. Hello, I'm Barbara Reed. Hi, I'm Laura Rodriguez. Hi, I'm John Curden. Hi, I'm Nick Bruce. And this is the number one regulatory reporting podcast in the EU, the UK, and around the world. So join us as we go behind the scenes and under the hood to look at the big issues and news stories, companies, and personalities who are shaping the world of regtech, fintech, and trade repositories. Welcome to the RegisTR Roundup. And remember, this podcast is brought to you by Registr, which is a six company and features members of the Registr team and special guests offering their personal opinions, not the opinions of Registr as an organization. There is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of information in this podcast, nor should you take it as legal, tax or other professional advice. And welcome back to the Registrar Roundup for this, our last show of the year. Yes, it's December already. Where did the year go? Well, if you're a market participant, it probably went in preparations for EMEA, uh, no doubt. But for us, it's been an amazing year. We're going to have a quick review of that. We're going to look towards the future. And of course, uh, this is not just our last show of the year, but it's the first episode of season 10. Yes, it is episode 92 of the Registrar Roundup Season 10, and we are full on for Amir Refit coming in just a few months' time. We're going to come to that soon, but it's a very special episode too, because one of the regular studio crew who has been out on maternity leave uh, for a couple of seasons is back with us. It is also, I'm delighted to say, the return of the nicest and most efficient person in the entire organization. That is Registrar, obviously, not, not the sixth group. I'm sure there are nice people there too. But the nicest person at Registrar, sorry, Nick, but, you know, let's face it, it was never going to be you. Barbara Ruiz Alonso, she's back. Barbara, welcome. Thank uh, you, thank you, thank you, Andrew. I can't believe it's season 10 already. I don't remember how many I skipped, uh, but time fly. I still remember the first episode we recorded back uh, during the pandemic, and it seems it looks crazy. I only had one time when we started, and I have three now. <laughs> Indeed, you've been busy. Uh, your reporting obligations have gone right up, and I have no doubt your lunchbox harmonization is through the roof. So things are looking challenging. It's wonderful to have you back. Of course, Barbara is, of course, still the head of client services. And joining Barbara for this very special show, we have, uh, in no particular order, but starting with the pride of Spain herself, uh, the uh, incredibly talented, and I might add, having met her in the flesh, very tall, uh, <laughs> Laura Rodriguez. Laura, welcome back. Hi, Andrew. Thank you very much. Where did the year go, actually, as you said? Wow. It's, it's really flown by, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about the institutional side of us. And as you've guessed, joining us, my regular co-host, the man who's appeared in the most shows, without any doubt, it is the voice of reason himself, the head of business development for Registry Armist, and Nicholas Bruce. Nick, welcome back. Good to be back, Andrew. Fantastic having Barbara back as well. I'm pretty sure, though, she needs to recount. I reckon she must have at least a five-a-side football team by now. Certainly, Barbara is formidable on the pitch. But let's, let's face it, if anyone was suited for it, it's the head of client services, because children, as we know, are the toughest clients. And of course, also joining us, one man who never has to deal with difficult clients because he makes everything run super smooth. It is, of course, the man who used to put the canary in the wharf. Then he was in Devonshire, but never square. And he now looks after St. Mary's Acts, none other than the CEO of Registrar in the UK, Mr. John Kern. And John, welcome back. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be back. And Barbara, so nice to see you back. 
It's good. So, Barbara, I mean, I was going to say, actually, are you going to be uh, coming over to the UK anytime soon? I hope so. I hope I can come over. I just need to find a good excuse. Uh, but if I go, of course, you will be together with Nick, the first one to know. Okay, good, good. Yes, do let me know. And John, see if you can pull a few strings, I'm sure, and arrange some kind of uh, UK jaunt for the podcast team. That's your challenge for 2024. Yeah, I can I, I can feel a UK client workshop coming on. Excellent, good. Sometime. Okay, you heard it here first. That sounds great. Now, we've got a cut to the real business of today because we have a lot to get through. We have pages of script ahead. And let's start right in at the deep end. Let's look at 2023 because the year seems to have been uh, an incredibly complicated year for market participants. We've seen interest rate rises, inflation, increased volatility, uh, especially for certain kinds of derivatives transactions, energy derivatives, of course, being one of the big ones that's caused a lot of issues for market participants. There's been a huge rise, obviously, in repo transactions. So something for the SFTR teams there. There was collateral scarcity last year. This year, there's excess liquidity. The funding and financing markets are going crazy. And of course, all of this lands reporting obligations on our clients. So uh, I want to come to you and say, what has been the biggest disruptor you think over the last year? Uh, and of course, uh, this probably will lead to going into 2024 as well. But what's what's been the big challenge you've seen this year for market participants? Well, uh, to me, it's true that I've been off for a few months. Um, and uh, for us, I think, uh, well, it hasn't been, let's say, a quiet year, but for sure it's uh, been quite than next year because all clients have been uh, reading around and starting to get ready uh, for refit, which is, of course, the the big bang for next year and it's not an easy uh, thing so they have been working on it already and to be honest i think it's uh, sometimes the hardest part it's just to get it started uh, so we heard many troubles on the entities to put together the teams uh, uh, that they needed to prepare for respite the specialists on each topic and that might sound like you know it's easy just to put together two three people but it's not because everyone is busy uh, on other uh, things so you know, for me, the, the other topics, at SFTR or on the UK, it was more uh, BAU, things were more stable, more kind of, uh, you know, back fixing and daily activities. Uh, but to me, getting ready for the big challenge next year with Refit uh, has probably been the, the most difficult uh, thing for most of our clients. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I'd say is, I mean, rightly so, we, you know, our focus has been predominantly email refit. Uh, both in the EU and the UK, um, but it's even more complex for for a number of our clients because, of course, you've had uh, regulatory reporting rewrites in the US, MAS, etc. So, you know, they're not only having to prepare for refit, but they're also in various stages of implementation of other regulatory rewrites in other jurisdictions. So, it's been a really challenging time for some of our clients. Laura, I, I want to come to you here because, of course, there is a CFTC rewrite that uh, has to be implemented in January. Um, we know that uh, there's a number of refits around the corner in the EU. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing that the regulators have got a sense of the pressure that market participants are under. So 
Do you think they're changing their approach over the course of a year that's been, you know, so dramatic in its changes like like 2023? Yeah, actually, I wanted to talk to you about those challenges, but from the authority side, uh, because obviously one of the points that we have discussed with them has been this readiness uh, for EMI refit. And although we have discussed with them a lot of uh, policy matters as DTRs, we have been able to identify several inconsistencies in the mapping uh, rules, in the uh, validation rules. Um, we have been also able to share with them the readiness that we see uh, right now on the market. And several authorities, they didn't have clear that overview uh, the same way. So now, a few months uh, before the reporting start date, they really need to uh, um, start uh, looking into uh, this readiness, uh, uh, talk with the uh, different entities, and, and and really try to to yeah to find the the way to help them. Uh, most uh, generally to to the small entities that don't have that same capacity as others to um, uh, build uh, this solution for, for ME Refit. So they really need uh, to support them now, give them all the information and, and, yeah, and try to have a smooth uh, implementation. So on the authority side, uh, yes, there will be a great challenge also uh, on this. Yeah, well, I, I just had an interesting thought from from the authority side, uh, and the, that is, as as we draw to the close of the year, um, we've seen the Central Bank of Ireland recently issue a fine of, I think it was somewhere in the region of, I think the end assessment was somewhere in the region of 190,000 euros. Uh, for non-reporting of about 200,000 derivatives trades between 2018 and 2020. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting and maybe somehow sets a tone uh, for next year and the expectations on the part of national competent authorities in terms of satisfactory implementation of refit and the improved data quality um, that, that refit should hopefully bring. In, in that regard, uh, John, I was also thinking that one of the main challenges uh, is when building refit, making refit good enough because we have all the lessons learned from the past. We know many entities when they built Emir, it was, you know, done. I'm not going to say patches, but some of them, they were just building things uh, on the on the fly. So uh, they did a big thing at, at the beginning. And then when they had to uh, include the improvements or the changes, they already had a basis that was uh, not flexible enough. So, you know, now they all entities have the opportunity to build something uh, like good enough from the beginning and that uh, it allows them a lot of flexibility for reporting. Plus, we have all um, the DORA implementation, all the knowledge we have now about artificial intelligence. You know, there are a lot of risks now that uh, entities have to consider. And that also had a big challenge for them uh, towards building a good system, robust, secure. Uh, so it's really, uh, I, I wouldn't like to be on the shoes of many of the technical guys, the product guys uh, that have many challenges ahead, many considerations to, to keep in mind. And, you know, as usually short timings uh, and, and normally uh, low budgets. Yeah, and I think what what's also concerning, Barbara, is you know there isn't um, there isn't complete uh, readiness. 
we know obviously from the events we've gone to our own events etc that there's some clients who who you know you could consider to be behind the curve and i suppose the the, the concern there is you get to a point where actually they look at it and think right well the you know the only um the only possibility for us to execute this in time is, is is to delegate, and that that kind of interesting interestingly goes back to to the fine as well because the fine was levied on an entity, if I understand it, that was delegating their reporting, and then also you know with the delegation we've had this discussion before, of course, but you know post refit it really ramps up as well the fact that you know you can delegate the reporting you can't delegate the responsibility you've got you know in, increased um, requirements in terms of reconciliation process errors and emissions reporting etc etc very interesting this point john because actually one of the the topics that we commented with the authorities is also their concerns regarding the responsibility of reporting when there is a, a delegation so they have seen that several entities that delegates uh, their reporting they seems to delegate full responsibility on their third parties and this is not the scope of the regulation if they are the reporting counterparty they should have full responsibility of what is reported on their behalf and so they should should have access to the data that these third parties are reporting for them. So the authorities have seen uh, that in several occasions this is not the case and, and they are looking into this because it's an important point to get into, into consideration not only now but also for uh, what's coming now with MRF. So Nick, you're at the sharp end on this, your business development, you're leading across a number of projects, you're interfacing directly with clients. There are so many moving parts that they've had to adapt to to get ready for a mere refit, especially if you're a delegated uh, entity and and you know you're relying on someone else. So you're you're below the thresholds. You're a non-financial counterparty. Or, uh, you have delegated your reporting uh, to another entity or one of the other entities that's in scope. There's a lot of complexity here. I mean, you know, tell us uh, what is the view out there? Uh, do people have a, entities have a really clear idea? of how they're reporting and what their data responsibilities are under me. Uh, to try and break that one down, because that's quite a long question. Um, do they have any idea? I think, yes, to a degree they do. Um, does that change their behaviours? I don't think it has done to this point as well, not in all cases. So it's a really hard one because I think one of the things under Amir reporting when you actually look at the changes that we're now seeing with refit is what the regulators don't want is they don't want a mere to be one-sided reporting. So there is a concern, certainly that I hear, that people are just going to move to delegation and actually not take responsibility of what they're reporting, even though they are absolutely responsible for anything that's reported, whether it's directly or through a third party. Now, the question is, there's a lot of companies that I speak to that understand that they appreciate the fact that certainly under refit, they're going to have to have a robust framework of oversight in place. They're going to be able to, they're going to have to demonstrate that. I think one of the things that's, you know, really going to impact or is starting to impact is to this point, there hasn't actually been a lot of action from regulators against companies that haven't been in control of their data and have either misreported or have allowed other institutions to misreport on their behalf. Now we're seeing that change with fining regimes actually being implemented and companies being fined. I think that focus is going to change. Now, I, you know, some of our bigger clients have turned around who are offering delegated um, services to their clients and said, 
know every single client now has to open up a direct account and they need to actually have oversight and be responsible for doing all the errors and emissions reporting um, on everything that's being reported on their behalf. And that is their duty and their obligation. So I think we're actually seeing a direct, you know, a change in the direction of travel. And it's now almost been dictated by other market participants. And I think that is changing that perception. But I think it's a slow change because ultimately companies got so much on their plate. It's hard enough for them to just get their heads around the regulation. And we've seen that because we've seen companies that wanted 18 months needing time to adapt to refit still haven't done that. And we're now in what? We're coming into the last four months and they're only now really starting to mobilize. So, you know, I think there is becoming a real kind of last minute realization that company's going to have to do a lot of work and that's going to lead to other issues around resourcing, et cetera, and experience resourcing. I think there's a real shortage in the marketplace of that. John, you've applied some uh, sort of product development thinking to this, though, haven't you, Registry Arm? Because you have got a solution for delegated entities uh, that isn't a massive burden on their back office and will allow them to have better data transparency so they can understand their own sort of uh, role and what is being reported on their behalf. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, it's not... uh you know, to be transparent, it's not it's not something we've developed for refit. This is something we've we've had in place for a number of years. So if you delegate your reporting, you can still open a read only um account with Registry R. Uh it's a low cost membership as well. And then you can basically triangulate your view. So you can see what the you know, the TR's books and records, your own books and records, and the entity that you've delegated to, maybe it's your custodian bank or whatever. So um yeah, we we have such a solution in place and you know, there there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of clients who currently use that we call it an NRE access, non reporting entity access. And getting into the nitty gritty a bit for you and just, just trying to get a handle on the 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 challenges of developing products in this space. It's the details of the transaction block of data that has got the most changes in it. I mean, we're talking about there's maybe seven new fields that have been introduced for parties to the derivatives blocks. And, you know, there's a, a handful of fields that have been added to, to the, the valuation side. But we are talking about the bulk of the changes. I think it's 90 plus new fields that have come in the details of the transaction block. And one of the key parts here, of course, is, uh, in, in terms of reporting, is the introduction of event types and action types. And, and these have changed. They've been rationalized. Some have been retired. Some have brought, brought over. Barbara, are you finding that one of the issues clients have is they're not 100% sure uh, exactly how to apply uh, event types and action types in the new reporting regime? Are they, they still want to use previous systems, is there a legacy issue in terms of getting the, boosting the data quality and, and implementing these new fields? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Uh, it's not easy. I mean, uh, when reading all the new fields, as you said, all the changes that are applying, uh, first, it's uh, the exercise, own exercise, if each of us have to, to really understand when to report what, automating that is uh, not an easy task. So indeed, we have already received uh, questions around this. Uh, we um, personally at Registrar, we had also uh, to struggle to really uh, understand all the changes. We 
obviously could uh, bring this to ESMA, uh, but we know, um, well, this is this is one of the, you know, hot topics that will come. Uh, it's already on the desk and it will come more uh, in, in, the, in the future months. The more, well, you know, clients are delayed. Uh, some, some of them are not um, up to speed yet. They are starting to test now. Uh, well, some of them have already tested quite a lot, but some of them are now starting to open the, the testing accounts. And so it's now when they encounter uh, in reality this kind of uh, issues of doubts. Uh, so I will encourage them to really look into this because it's something that takes time. How do you test for some of these fields? Because, we, for example, package transaction spread which applies when the price and the currency of a combination of two or more transactions are reported separately, but are negotiated together as the product of a single agreement. Now, that to me sounds like quite a complex scenario. How do you mock that up and test your reporting systems with that? Do you have to use examples from uh, previous history, in which case, have you got all that data? Uh, it seems like the testing challenge is really onerous for market participants. It is. I think that there's no two ways around it. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of complexity to this. And I think sometimes it's very easy from a regulator's perspective to look at market participants and say, well, you should have this data already. You should know it. Um, it should be easy for you to access it and to meet the new reporting requirements. But it's not. It's a fundamental change in the way that clients are using data today um, and the way their systems are configured. So it's it's a huge undertaking to, to get the data and then to put it into the right format and to repackage it and to be able to do that on a consistent basis to report to meet the EMEA requirements, um, the, sorry, the refit requirements. So it, it is a huge challenge. And it, it's quite easy for a TR to sit there further down the stream. We've got huge development we've had to make around this. But what we do is very prescriptive in terms of it either, either meets the criteria, the validation rules, et cetera, or it doesn't. But for market participants, there is a lot of rebuilding work that needs to take place in order to meet the refit requirements. Actually, on this point, uh, well, Andrew asked how many tests. I mean, I can tell you for the big entities, the test plans are insane. They really have thousands of cross-validations or different uh, um, uh, products or, or you know, uh, transactions that uh, they are slightly different and each of them have to be tested separately. Uh, but we actually try to test all of them. We have a, a very robust um, quality assurance team, a testing team that try to go through all the possibilities, all the scenarios that uh, clients could face. Some of them, we just find them because, you know, some clients have cash histories very particular that they have to uh, to report and those, uh, well, they, they uh, inform us. That's why it's very important now using the um, testing phase. So, you know, clients can learn and, and, and build their systems. Plus, we, in case we missed any of the of the testing scenarios, we could also add it and, and enhance our system. But it's a common work between the product teams, the front desk, the testers, the developers. It's actually an important uh, teamwork that has to happen in order to be able to complete a good and of a good quality uh, test plan. It's not easy. It takes time. 
just to also give you um, a, an idea of the complexity of this testing, um, there is also a test period uh, with NCAs, with the authorities, uh, which comes from uh, now, the month of December, until uh, the end of March. So during that period, the TRs are also testing with the NCAs all the process of the reports that they received uh, to to yeah get the same uh, feedback and knowledge uh, from the TRs to the NCA side. So uh, it's a really complex and, and, and big scope of uh, testing scenarios. Yeah, I, I was just going to add, it's, Barbara made a really good point as well, which is, I mean, in our test environment, the testing is actually two-way. It's really important for us, the clients, test, 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 and test more, which I know we've said multiple times on previous podcasts, because that also helps us test our platforms, our, you know, our system to ensure that go live, every scenario, every combination has been double checked and to ensure the integrity of the system. Obviously, we've got teams doing that as well. I think the other thing maybe that we should mention is the work and the fantastic work that the various associations have been doing as well, the working groups have been doing in terms of actually looking at refit, um, liaising with us, liaising with the regulators and actually looking at how that should be applied correctly, looking at market practice, and if there's any gray areas, reverting back within the Q&As, but also implementing best practice so we're all aligned going forward into that sort of go-live day for any of these kind of areas where we think that there could be a, a difference in interpretation, that we're all aligned in our approach. I think the work that they've been doing is actually shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, there's a couple of odd ones that, that struck me. I saw... Um that the valuation block, which is uh, a small block of changes, but there are some pretty juicy ones in that. One of them that seemed odd was the valuation date and valuation timestamp, which apparently should always be the same, in which case, you know, asking from a non-financial background uh, as a journalist, why, if they're always going to be the same, uh, do you actually need them? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, you need it uh, because there are modifications as well uh, over the dates. Um, valuations are reported daily, actually. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, they're, they're, it, 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 it is updated, actually. I mean, and date is one format and then the timestamp is different. So ah. you can... Uh, it's the valuation date. It's 12th of December 2023. And then the timestamp, it's at 11.45 at CET. I mean, they, they are really specific. Okay. It's a hard one because I know the industry has been complaining a lot about the timestamp and saying that the timestamp doesn't actually work. Yeah, because there, it's very complex when there are different time zones. Sometimes, depending on the timestamp of the transaction, you move to the following day and then it doesn't match the the, the, the date because, you know, if you are in, uh, I don't know, in India, you have a different time. It, it, it is Absolutely, really Absolutely, you're on a different day potentially. Yeah, exactly. So... If you want a detailed uh, answer, it's a complex answer. That's fine. Yeah, and, and more broadly, we see that there's a change in valuations. There's a change of uh, specific fields, uh, like the Delta field now for swaptions and options. You know, it, it strikes me that they really are trying to cover a very wide and very broad range of products in this uh, regulation, which, of course, adds to complexity, not just for uh, the reporting side of the market participant, but naturally for the TR to process that data and get it through. There are actually so many different products in the financial industry. There are so many 
possibilities that I think refit uh, with the increase of uh, new fields, the increase of, you know, all the changes. They are really trying to be able to um, aggregate and to get information from most of it. But still, I'm sure in, you know, 10 years time, we will have refit whatever, in 26, and they will keep uh, trying to go into the nitty-gritty because products uh, keep uh, evolving, they keep uh, getting enhanced and more complex every day. So obviously the regulation goes behind. And uh, this change, not only the Delta, but many other things, are just trying to, again, get more information because that's the whole purpose. Uh, Authorities getting information to be able to supervise properly. And we knew in the um, old EMIR, there were uh, things that were escaping, actually, that they, they, there weren't enough fields to, to be able to report it properly. And these were some of the complaints from market participants. And now this is, a, a you know, an attempt or, well, I mean, it's not an attempt. I, I think it really improved the, the capacity for clients to, to report uh, better, to report more complete information. But still, I'm sure as long as products get more complex and they keep changing, the regulation will have to change with it. Okay, moving on now to uh, your own journey this year, because, of course, the last time we recorded a Christmas show, uh, Registry Art was still uh, within the umbrella of the Deutsche Börse Group, and now you are uh, firmly embedded within the Six Group and uh, a whole new way of working, doing business, new relationships, uh, new opportunities. It's been a big year for all of you. How how has it been? How has the transition over to the Six Group been for you? John? Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's it's especially great now um, that we're, we're, we're at a stage where the full integration has been completed because... You know, with the integration, almost everybody within the organization has additional work on the side of their desk. You know, you're involved in projects and, 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 and various other things. Um, but it's uh, it's all been done. And, you know, we're looking forward to single ownership. Um, yeah, everything very positive. And also, I might add... Um, this year, we also moved to a fabulous new office in London, which has to be a, a, a highlight, I think, for me. Certainly, certainly. There, if you get the chance to visit St Mary's Act, it really is uh, a flagship. It's like it's like the difference between the original series of Star Trek and you know the Next Generation. It's it's, it's that kind of upgrade in terms of the special effects and the coffee bar. Uh, on that front, I just want to stick with you for a second, John, because of course you're CEO of Registrar in the UK. Six is a third country insofar as it's outside. Uh, it's headquartered in Switzerland, outside the EU. So in a way, do you think there's additional expertise uh, and insights there that can benefit Registrar UK uh, as a country that's participating within, but also without uh, the European Union? Yeah, I think but potentially. I mean, I think the arrangement... Um, between uh, Switzerland and the European Union and the UK and the, and the European Union is not exactly the same. Um, but certainly, you know, there, there is that awareness and um, we're able to tap into uh, group level expertise across a number of functions. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's directly comparable, 
Um, but uh, yeah, as I say, I mean, there's there's just such a breadth of of expertise at group level that we can always tap into. I think uh, at Registry we are specifically um, sensible about this because when I joined Registry and joined uh, in our states ten years ago, by the way, uh, time flies. We were like just a few of us. Uh, BME Group was. Uh, for me at that moment, it was a big group. It was a holding many entities on it. But Registrar was just a, a pool of six people. You know, we were just working together because it was just the real, real start of Emir. Uh, so over these 10 years, I have seen Registrar grow massively at all levels, uh, not only people and resources, but the structure and everything. Um, but then at that time, I thought, BME was quite big. Now with the six group, that's it's much bigger. It's much complex. There are so much expertise. It's not that we didn't have it before. It's that now it's all massive. So maybe uh, for uh, John uh, or Nick that they come also from big entities from Deutsche Boys, uh, you know, it's just a different group, uh, but also very, very big. Uh, but for me, when I started at Registrar, for me, my world was my six colleagues. And now it's all so big that for me, the change uh, and the integration with six, I see it with perspective and it's really amazing and it's much better for me, but it's it's really complex. And all the way, as John was saying, now we can say we did it and it's great. But the, the, the job of many people and a lot of effort has uh, come through to, to be able to, to be here today. It's actually third of January is actually my tenth anniversary at Registrar as well. Um, but anyway, no. What I was going to say was we we shouldn't sell ourselves short either because we we are Registrar. We are part of that expertise within the group, and we now are able to offer you know expertise on these reporting regimes that didn't necessarily exist before. So you know it's very complementary. It's about having complementary businesses under the one umbrella. Actually, we are pioneers on things like the podcast, for example. Yeah, totally agree. Actually, I wanted to say that we can see that expertise of Registrar spread now in the industry. For example, our participation in uh, ISDA Association, uh, the participation that we have done on the several webinars, and even also in the industry when uh, reviewing uh, the technical standards on EMI Refit, we have been one of the TR that has presented more questions and more uh, uh, concerns that has been taken by, by the regulators. So, um, yeah, totally agree that uh, we are great added value also for, for the six group. When we talk about the integration over the past 12 months, Andrew, uh, for me, the thing that integrated almost immediately was on the people front. I don't think I've, I ever saw a problem on the people front. And look, there's bigger changes in different offices, but certainly in London, um, embedding ourselves as part of the six team was very, very straightforward and very easy. And actually, we've been working really closely. So if I think about the people in our financial informations team, they offer regulatory reporting financial information. So actually, I spent a lot of time with them talking about refit and the drivers of refit, helping to educate them. Um, you just kind of take it for granted. So I think actually, it's, it's been a really easy integration in that regard. I think the, the biggest change I've had is just purely on the systems. Um, any of my clients that listen to this will know the pain on my face for, that I had from lugging around two laptops. Honestly, I, I'm going to be going. I'm going to, I'm going to be pulled, you know, pulled around and trying to sort my back out for the next couple of months. I think so. The fact that we finally went to one platform, one laptop, 
um, a month or so ago was great. Um, and that was really the last thing. I think the integration itself has been great. And it is partly because big organization and we kind of slot into, I always think those kind of those post trade solutions. So we, we kind of got a nice little, a little home there where we fit quite nicely and it, it works really well. Now, while we're here at the end of the year, we can't help but get our crystal balls out a little bit early, uh, perhaps. Uh, but let's have a think about next year. And Lara, I want to come to you because um, from a regulatory point of view, 2024 sounds like it's one nonstop party. And of course, I do say that ironically, because I'm just looking at this little list here. We've got uh, CFTC rewrite, Emir refit, MIFID refit, MIFID and MIFIR. Refits uh, coming. We've got Dora. We've got uh, Micah. Plus, of course, there are new products entering the market. All of which will have uh, reporting obligations, especially in in the field of OTC derivatives. And at the same time, the macroeconomic pressures to create more products are there because we're in an era of very low remuneration at central banks. We're in an era of uh, excess liquidity, and uh, market participants are looking always towards new innovative ways to optimize their their financial efficiency, so to balance their balance sheets and all those other exciting things like that. So uh, what is next year looking like? Is it just a nonstop cavalcade of new regulations <laughs> and new reporting overheads? It is. I mean, there are such a significant number of legislative projects coming. You mentioned uh, most of them, and in particular in the EU side, as you said, we have the finalization of the uh, regulatory framework under MICA uh, and the preparation with the NCAs for these new regimes, which will contribute a lot uh, to the crypto market and the, the protector of the, the investor protector. Also, we have DORA uh, that we will continue to adapt to this uh, um, new application. Very recently, they have uh, published the latest batch of consultation papers on, on DORA uh, that will uh, need to be responded by uh, beginning of March next year. And we will have more and more consultation coming. Um, then, for example, uh, there will be a clear focus on, on green trans- transition. Um, ESMA will expand the single rule book for sustainable finance. Uh, and we will have a final report on greenwashing. I mean, so many different uh, uh, projects. And of course, one of the key ones uh, that we will have next year will be uh, for the authorities to ensure an effective use of the data. So uh, here, ESMA, uh, as well as the FCA and all the authorities will keep uh, improving data quality, which is one of their key uh, focus for, for 2024 and, and the, the following years. And, and of course, this is linked with, uh, yeah, with Emir Refit and with all this new legislation, which uh, uh, their uh, main uh, goal is this uh, improved of data quality and, and the way to supervise the data. So I'm yeah. guessing if you work in regulatory affairs, uh, you're getting a Ferrari with your bonus this year. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> okay, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I was going to say on that is I, I think sometimes we all fall into the, the, the trap of looking at something like this. And, you know, you've got email refit and we kind of look at it like it's something that can be executed as a one-off event. And, you know, where we are, now is similar to where we were, I suppose, 10 years ago. Technology changes, market conditions change. And 
you know, having to uh, consistently update the regulatory reporting framework, that's that's the new norm. That That is where we are. It's, you know, it's not something that's going to disappear um, post-refit. There will always be factors that, that will require additional change to the framework. Yeah, it's and it's actually quite scary. I, until until Laura started um, the list, I didn't realise how much was going on next year. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying, isn't it? When you think if you're a market participant and you think about it as well, and say, actually, most of this stuff isn't even my core business because my core business is actually on investing, it's on generating revenues. So this is all stuff that has to be done almost on the side. And so then companies are actually got that challenge around. How can they drive forward innovation, et cetera, whilst they've got to meet all of these requirements? So there's some real challenges. I mean, next year, there is there are a lot of moving parts. I mean, John mentioned technology. And that's the other thing is, I think mean, everyone's struggling to keep, you know, to keep in line with all the technological advances. And that's why the regulation is always going to be adapting because it needs to, because there is a constant evolution that everyone's trying to catch up with as well. And there's always that first mover advantage that everyone wants to take advantage of. It's interesting times. And Barbara, I mean, do you find that you have to spend a lot of time making clients cups of tea and saying, calm down? Uh, or, or, you know, are they are they doing okay? Are they they taking it? What, what was the client services desk looking like? Are you getting busier? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we have seen already an increase in the workload that we receive on more questions because, of course, the reporting start date of refit is just uh, around the corner. And, uh, well, they know they um, they are struggling. You know, sometimes just this, the silliest thing, it's a struggle because sometimes just connecting and uh, inserting a user and a password because now, again, we have to fight against, uh, you know, all the security um, fence that we have to build you need to download an application. You need to subscribe to this thing and the other thing. And so just logging into the platform, it's already a big challenge. So uh, indeed, they they are um, they are sometimes worried because, uh, you know, there are so many new things. But uh, just to calm everyone down, it's okay if, if you start now with time. Uh, and again, you start testing, you start digging into it. That's all right. It would be fine. Uh, we we have uh, a good team to support. Uh, I, I think at Registr we really care a lot about the, the support we, we give clients. And we have also worked a lot on guides and handbooks and many information that clients will, I believe, um, appreciate because when you start working into it, it's when problems come up. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I I must admit, Andrew, I think it's actually Barbara that needs the consistent cup of teas and just um, and the team and an arm around to say, it's okay, guys, it's okay. There's an end in sight. But I mean, if you think about it, put it into perspective. Um, so the time we're recording this, not when it will go out, um, we wanted to have a, a webinar for our clients because we've just done the latest sort of update to our UAT environment. And we had to do it quite a short notice because of the Christmas period. Now, I can tell you, I haven't seen the numbers. Within three days of us advertising that we're going to do a webinar, we've had over 500 clients actually register for the webinar itself. And that is the demand. That is the interest that people have um, in this. And that's why we will be doing these every month going forward to a live date, because we know there is a need to stay close with clients and to support the clients. That's obviously a commitment, and things will still evolve over that period. Hey, Nick, um, Barbara's got three kids at home. Coming to work is like a holiday. <laughs> you cannot imagine. When I when I didn't have kids, I thought, 
these bad parents, you know, when they came to the office just to get rest, I was like, it cannot be so bad. It is true. It is for real. I worked much harder because it's more physical. When I was on my, on my maternity leave and the first day I came to the office was like, wow, I can have a conversation, you know, more than one minute just with someone and not having, you know, crossed uh, things coming in. And so, yeah, it's actually there are a lot of work, but you can concentrate on things at home. It's not possible. Well, Barbara, that, can I just say to you, is it, I'm, I can't even tell you necessarily that it's going to get any better. I can tell you now, uh, for reasons I won't go into on the podcast, I'm currently, for a three-week period, a single parent to my 16-year-old son. Everyone thinks that it, that's easy. He's 16, he's useless. Um, and if he <laughs> listens to this, you're useless, Luke. Um, and my wife said to me, she goes, but think about the, the one-to-one time you're going to have. I don't think he said more than two grunts to me um, so far over a period of two and a half weeks and he just goes and plays Xbox. So that's what you've got to look forward to. Great. Really encouraging. Thank you for that, Nick. Pleasure. Talking of things to look forward to, that does, we do have to start drawing our threads together for this first episode of uh, season 10, which of course now we're moving to a new monthly format. We have a longer show on a monthly basis so we can get even more in-depth and more focused in the run-up to Amir Refit's deadline, April the 29th. And I want to ask you all, what are you doing for Christmas this year? And I'm, I'm going to start with Laura. Laura, what are your Navidad plans? Oh, I'm just going to have a great family time and actually have uh, friends coming from Mexico to visit us and spend Christmas with us. So I'm really looking forward to it for them to know the, you know, the traditions that we have here. It's going to be great. Now, I'm, I'm interested, what are you having for Christmas dinner? Is it bacalao, uh, something like no. that? Are you roasting a bird? What's your plan? <laughs> I, I don't know about the food um, uh, today. It probably, be, I don't know what uh, we're going to prepare yet. Uh, but we have a very traditional dish on the 25th, uh, Christmas Day, which is miras. Uh, it's bread. <laughs> bread, uh, yeah, just Google it, migas. <laughs> Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a, 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 a dish which is basically made with uh, bread, but it's fried with a lot of oil. So it's um, not good for if you are on a diet or something because it has chorizo on it, and it, it's really like you know after that you really need to have a nap wow. uh, because it's very heavy. It looks like very simple bread, olive oil, and chorizo, but it's delicious uh, with a lot of garlic. Um, it's very nice, uh, but it's it, it, it's a tradition from you know uh, back at the time for uh, workers on the fields. Uh, so it's to get a lot of energy and not just to eat it and go to the sofa. But that's <laughs> what we I- do. I think we should resurrect. We should resurrect the Registry Our Podcast recipe book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that sounds great. Yes. Yeah. I would be perfectly happy if it was just twenty pages of that recipe right there, because that <laughs> that sounds absolutely delicious. John, what about yourself? Are you going to be stuffing a bird in the oven? Uh, well, might be stuffing someone in the oven. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm actually doing a 2,000-kilometer road trip with my ex-wife and 11-year-old daughter. And that's all I'm saying on the subject. Wow. So, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. That sounds like a, yeah. a, an amazing thing. That's a long road trip. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Luxembourg to Edinburgh and back. 
Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, good. Wow, that's going to be great. I, I have to say, having spent many years living in Scotland, Christmas in Scotland is a, a very, very special thing. But also, I'm going to say, having had Christmas with you in Luxembourg a couple of times, that's pretty fantastic as well. Uh, Nick, what about yourself? It's you and Luke. Uh, do you have something special planned? Uh, no, the whole family's back for Christmas, so um, I'm yeah, I'm going to see the outlaws. So that means I'm off to Derby, so they live in the middle of um, the country. I'm actually staying in a place called Matlock Bath, which um, for anyone that doesn't know the UK, even if you know the UK, you probably wouldn't know this place. I call it the only inland seaside resort in the whole country. For some reason, they've developed um, a town. It's an old spa town, but it's full of arcades and fish and chip shops. Um, and normally, um, eight, well, probably somewhere between 50 to 80-year-old bikers on Harley and Davidson's. And then on Boxing Day, they have a tradition which I believe goes back over 100 years where they race rafts down the river and everyone stands on the bridges and we bomb them with flour and eggs and they nowadays which I don't think they had 100 years ago they have high powered water pistols and they shoot you back um, so the kids are really looking forward to and that Barbara are you going to be uh, feasting on chorizo and olive oil drenched bread uh, for Christmas or are you going to be you know doing something that's a little little bit more suitable for people who don't have teeth well uh, I think I mentioned this uh, last year as well my family it's a great family of cooks a lot of people love cooking so there's actually a competition uh, for the greatest uh, dish of the year uh, but normally on the um, uh, Christmas Eve we have a stuffed turkey which is absolutely delicious uh, and well there are other normally there are surprises around it but normally it's always around uh, uh, well the turkey it's for sure that we always have it um, but other well, other delicious uh, Spanish uh, dishes but not migas in my family that's not a tradition uh, and yeah but except for that you know uh, Christmas around kids is always uh, special so I look forward for that as well yeah, I just want to say as well, I know this is, this podcast has been really nice actually to get the old studio crew back together, have a good old chat, but also um, throughout the course of this year, just thanks to all our clients and guests who, who've appeared on the show and shared their expertise with us. And that's really why I liked the, um, the two client event shows we did um, so much. They're kind of like, uh, you know, to make a terrible Christmas analogy, it's kind of like a box of quality street, right? We've got all of our, uh, we pick a mix of all of our favorite guests. You know, Danny Corrigan is a hazelnut caramel, maybe John Graham is a round golden toffee. And uh, Tim Hartley, what would he be? Uh, a coffee cream, something like that? Uh, I'm going to say Tim Hartley is almost certainly a walnut whip in my book because he has many layers and, you know, all of them are delicious. Oh, it's getting weird now. I'm going to say, actually, we should fire out a really big thank you, though, to Fabian Clark, to Fraser Reed, of course, to Tim Hartley, and to Massimo Salerno, uh, to Alvaro Gascon and Victor Rodriguez Garcia, of course, uh, Urs Reich. Laura Rodriguez, uh, sorry, you're here, aren't you? Uh, so big thanks to Urs, especially. And uh, also uh, big thanks to all those people who participated in our live event shows. And of course, uh, yes, uh, Danny Corrigan. Congratulations, Danny, of course, who's now had the launch party and it's all official. London Reporting House is out there. So do make sure you check them out. 
it's time. It wouldn't be right. We've we have been pretty brutal to ChatGPT all year uh, in uh, this this last season, nine especially. And so I think it's only fair that we give ChatGPT a chance to get its own back. And I uh, earlier this week asked it to. Uh, write a message to the audience, a Christmas message to the audience in the style of myself. Yes, this is my turn to take the brutal punishment. Uh, and I want, to, I want you to tell me honestly, I want you to vote, is it an improvement or not? I know where this is going. <laughs> I, know, I read it and I, was, I felt pretty horrified, frankly. I thought I was out of a job. Um, okay, so uh, just so ChatGPT can get its revenge on me, as the year draws to a close, I, Andrew Keith Walker, on behalf of the entire Registry Yard team, want to extend our warmest holiday wishes to you. It's been another remarkable year full of challenges and triumphs, and as much as our podcast episodes are a chance for reflection and insight, this season is an even greater opportunity to look back and appreciate the journey we've shared. As we wrap up this year, like the perfect present under the tree, we hope you find time to relax, recharge, and revel in the joy and peace of the holiday season. Let's raise our glasses, uh, or mugs of hot cocoa, to the successes we've achieved and to the exciting opportunities that await us in the new year. There you go. That's ChatGPT's version of me. Now, my message was slightly different. It was going to be, may Santa bring a whole load of data harmonization down your chimney and also a time machine so you can go back a couple of years and rebuild your systems to be ISO compliant. There, uh, which one do you think is the best message? I don't know which one's the best, but you've shown us how we can save a few quid on the marketing budget next year. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. Hi, and look, you know I've done this before. I've, I've voted for the chat GPT just, just to be spiteful. I can't do it on this occasion as well, Andrew. It was just too generic. That was so generic and boring. Honestly, it, it just reminded me of the best man, a really bad best man speech. So, no, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. Okay, but thank you. That saves John. We need to have a conversation on the side. I can easily become a fan. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to say, I'm going to say for once, ChatGPT. Despite the reservations, you deserve our thanks for providing us with so much entertainment uh, on the show this year. And that's it. We come to the end of uh, the year, the beginning of a new season. And at Registry, I would like to wish you a very happy Christmas, a Feliz Navidad, a Joyo Noel, a Froa Weihnachten, a Buon Tali, a Feliz Natal, a Kachun Ferisit, a Schlastivogo, Rodishtava. Uh, a good Yule, a good Yule, a Gleidig Yule, a Haiva Yulule, a Gleidig Yuli, a Vesoch Sviat, a Vrolish Kerfiest, a Shritten Bozish, a Veseli Menachi, a Meri Kuri Sumasu, a Shinging G Kuali, a Meli Koile Sumese, a special Shine Krishtig to our Luxembourgish friends, a Felisim Natali Christi, and of course, Unlike Shona, and please, if I've got any of those wrong, it's post-Brexit. I'm not supposed to know any of those words anyway, by law here in the UK. And that's it. That's everything. Do join us on our LinkedIn page. That is linkedin.com slash company slash regis hyphen TR. Uh, so you can network with Laura Rodriguez and, of course, with Barbara Ruiz Alonso and with John Kernan and with Nick and with the other members of the team. Sign up for webinars and find out more about what's coming up. Uh, for your refit readiness preparations and the things that Registeer can do for you with those. 
and now we'll actually have some people actually saying these messages in the proper authentic language and apologies for anyone we've insulted. Yes, indeed. Uh, again, apologies again. And from that, I guess it, all that remains is to give a huge thank you to our guests for the year and a goodbye from our studio crew, without which, of course, we could have no show. And that is in no particular order, starting with the Pride of Spain. Uh, uh, Laura Rodriguez, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm really looking forward for next season with Barbara back, finally. Yes, indeed. And on that front, the nicest and most efficient person in the organization is back for season 10 and her 10-year anniversary at Registry Art. Uh, thank you very much, Barbara Ruiz Alonso. Thank you, Andrew, Laura. Merry Christmas to everyone. And I'm super happy to be back. It's my favorite podcast forever now. And a huge thank you as well to uh, the man who used to put the canary in the wharf. Then he was in Devonshire but never square. He's now looking after St. Mary's Axe, the CEO of Registry Art in the UK, Mr. John Kernan. John, thanks very much. Thanks, Andrew. Wishing all our listeners a very peaceful Christmas and a happy new year. And last but never least, uh, the voice of reason himself, my most regular co-host, Mr. Nicholas Bruce. Nick, a very Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. And here's to uh, a fun 2024. And also, big thank you to the producer of the show, of course, Liana Sudan. Liana, thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everyone. And if you are horrified by my terrible mispronunciation of all those Merry Christmas messages, here are some real Merry Christmas messages from our very diverse Registiar team in Ukrainian, German, Bosnian, Croatian, Russian, Italian, and French. Take it away, team. Команда Registiar себе вітає вас, ваших рідних та близьких з наступаючими святами Нового року та Святого Різдва. Бажаємо здоров'я, достатку і всіх благ. Ispred Registiar tima želimo vam sretne praznike i nadamo se da će vam nova godina biti ispunjena dobrim zdravljem i uspjehom. Komanda Registiar vsi duši pozdravljaju vas s Novim godom i Rождеством Hristovim. Želajem šćastja i radosti vam i vašim bliskim. Da parte del nostro team, buone feste a tutti voi e vi auguriamo di avere un anno nuovo ricco di successo e salute. In questa periodo di fine d'anno e della parte di tutta l'equipe, nos meilleurs voeux e une année 2024 riche en succès et santé. In dieser besinnlichen Zeit möchten wir uns für Ihre Zusammenarbeit bedanken und Ihnen erholsame Feiertage sowie einen großartigen Start ins neue Jahr wünschen. Das ganze Relationship-Team von Registia wünscht Ihnen und Ihrer Familie ein frohes Weihnachtsfest und einen guten Rutsch ins neue Jahr. Great, that's good. And from everyone at the Six Group and at Registia, we wish you a very happy holiday season. And if it's your tradition, a very Merry Christmas. Goodbye for now.